Hi, I'm Nate in Colorado. And James in London. And I'm Rochella in North Carolina. And we are Friends in Formation, a podcast where three very different friends take your questions about life and faith with the goal of listening, learning, and helping one another go deeper with God. Friends in Formation is produced by Renovare, a Christian renewal effort that offers resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. We'd love you to join the conversation. Feel free to email us a question at friends at renovare.org. That's friends at R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E dot Guys, I am so excited to talk to you today because I have a question from Mark, and I actually love the way he posed this question. It's You're not going to read it directly, are you? <laughs> I course, am. Of course. Pardon. All of it. Okay. Do it. Sorry. I love the way Mark has posed his question. It's a, it's a question and a comment, but it really caught my eye. He said, hi, James, Rochella, and Nathan. And he was responding to our um, discussion about being safe in the kingdom of God. And he said, this is twaddle. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm not sure what the word twaddle means, but I think I can guess. But anyway. Is it British? Is that a British term? Well, I know it's in Britain. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. What's it it mean? Sorry, Rochelle. Rubbish. It means um, refuse. It means... That's what I figured. I, I figured that that um, Mark was saying this is rubbish, but he goes on to say, "Our podcast is rubbish." <laughs> Basically, <laughs> thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. No, no. Listen, <laughs> Mark coming. is not. Mark has something important to say here. He says, "I was a missionary in Papua New Guinea. Time and again, I would encounter tribes on the road in conflict. My kids were in the back of the pickup." I would put my Land Cruiser in four-wheel drive. In case I was set upon, I was prepared to go through the tribe. Was I scared? You bet. So he's saying that in response to our saying, um, our actually quoting Dallas, is saying that the kingdom of God is a perfectly safe place to be. And he was saying that where he was clearly at, you know, doing the Lord's work as a missionary and he knew he wasn't safe. So how is it that the kingdom can be a perfectly safe place to be, and yet he has to have a rifle in the back of a pickup? How would you guys respond to that? Well, um, I think we need to just go back to the scripture that Dallas was talking about at the time he made those comments to Mark chapter 4, where he's in a boat, his head is asleep on a cushion, and the disciples, you know, challenge him and say, don't you care, we're perishing here. Mm-hmm. And he says, oh, you uh, little faiths, I think is, a, is the way he puts it. And his point is that it is a perfectly safe place to be if we're orientated in the right way. And I noticed that several other people who've emailed us have picked up on that. They've mm-hmm. they've seen that it's about the orientation of our hearts and our lives. But I mean, I know that story. I mean, he talks about in a car, you know, children in the back, hostilities. 
I've been in situations of that kind as well. I was outside Kampala a while ago now. This is after the fall of Idi Amin, and the whole of Uganda was in uproar and no law and order, no police. The, the Tanzanians... This is the poster for not safe, right? This is the poster <laughs> for not safe. And we're in countries being um, you know, occupied by Tanzania, troops on the street, but they were stopping people and you checkpoint off the checkpoint off the checkpoint. And sometimes they were alcohol infused and drunk and were stopping people and were pulling the women out of the cars and bribing you and everything else. And we had the most terrible experiences of being, you know, chased. I remember we didn't, you know, stop at a checkpoint. They flagged down the next car after us that the Tanzanians um, jumped in the car and with the guns out of the windows were chasing us. And Mm -hmm. we were slaloming down the road, keeping out of their way. And I have to say, my theology had to catch up. It had to go at the 60 (laughs) miles an hour, the 60 miles an hour that we were at at the time, a zigzagging our way, trying to get to the next um, checkpoint so we could talk to that checkpoint and say, will you stop the people coming up behind us? And it was, you know, scary. I mean, I've been in other positions as well, but It's at times like that you have to work out what do you believe about God. And and James, as I listen to you say that, I mean, obviously, you're talking about a situation just as dramatic as what Reader Mark sent in, right? It felt like it. There are other times that aren't so dramatic, but they are, in fact, scary. I mean, in my own experience, I, I, I lose count. How many times I've been in the waiting room, outside an operating room, not knowing whether my loved one was in good shape or bad shape or, you know, would live or die. And it's scary. So I think what we're when we say that the kingdom of God is a perfectly safe place to be, we're not saying that it's not scary. Right. Yeah. That yeah. that's fair. I mean, I find myself as I'm thinking about the kingdom of God, and we talk some about how Dallas talks about the kingdom, the foundation of reality is the fact that God reigns. Mm. But as we live here on this earth, you know, we pray. I pray every day the, the Lord's Prayer. I start the day with the Lord's Prayer mm-hmm. and say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's I'm begging God that as far as I'm concerned, please let God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And yet we know we live in a place where many times God's will is not done on earth as it is in heaven. There is evil afoot in the world. Scary things do happen. So James, when you were waiting for your theology to catch up, I love that. That's a great way to put it. But I think maybe part of your theology is a very gracious God who allows for your fears, Mm. who works with you, even in your lack of confidence. That's right. The lack of confidence is definitely part of it. And it's what you do in that 
context, I think, is important. But no easy answers. I recognize that. Yeah, and that's. I think that's why this comment really caught my eye. Even if I wasn't familiar particularly with the term twaddle, I can guess at its meaning. And I wonder sometimes when we talk about these big ideas of spiritual formation, do they sound like twaddle? Does it sound like oh, well, that's a nice thing to talk about, but out here in the real world, we have to deal with real world situations and you guys are just, you know, ivory tower talking. I mean, I think what we talk about needs to be real world. This works. Real progress can be made by real people in real time, not just pie in the sky. And and the first place we have to do is begin to redefine what we mean by safe. Mm-hmm. I mean I mean it's it's absurd to think that my physical safety is going to be protected because I'm in tune with the mm-hmm. kingdom. No. <laughs> Suffering happens all mm-hmm. the time and people good people die mm-hmm. and so when we think of safety we automatically think of our physical safety and our comfort and and I don't that's not how I take this statement at all. To me this is about the state of our souls. This is about the state of God's reign uh, marching through history that our souls are safe there and that in the scope of eternity mm-hmm. we'll make it through this full intact. That doesn't mean our bodies won't suffer and perish. They will. So, I think, you know, hearing that, of course it's twaddle if your definition of safety is that I'm never going to be harmed physically. Yeah, I think that's really helpful, Nate. The part of life in the kingdom is realizing that the here and now that we can see and touch is not the totality of existence. You know, Dallas used to say to us, invisible things are real. So the kingdom yeah. is maybe not visible to us. Parts of it are visible, but God is not a visible being. And yet we trust mm. in his reign. And while our physical safety, the vestiges of which we can see, right? I'm, I'm sitting in a chair in my home right now. I feel safe because I'm sitting here, Mm. but this is not the totality of my existence. But also that's the reality we have, you see. We are able to sit in a comfortable chair in a comfortable house. And I think what Papua New Guinea and uh, Uganda are showing us are people who have not had that experience Mm -hmm. and believers in that context are having to work out this theology themselves. If you've grown up in a hostile environment, in an unsafe place, you're having to work out daily, do I believe in God? Do I believe he's capable? And it's the West where we are protected by, you know, healthcare systems and police forces and, you know, um, heating systems and food that's available. We start to get afraid that it's not a perfectly safe place. Mm. But if you're Mm -hmm. living in an environment where it really isn't a safe place, you begin to learn at a deeper level how to lean into God and to rely with him for everything. Mm-hmm. I suppose I'm asking, is this a question, you know, is this a first world issue? Yeah, it may be that we are, in terms of allowing our theology to catch up, that we're at a 
bit of a disadvantage with all our supposed advantages. Yeah. 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 I think it's it's echoed from a prosperity gospel, which which actually I think we can find thumbprints of in a lot of religious culture. But the idea that if I'm, you know, doing all the right things or I'm, you know, God, I'm on God's side, then then that means my physical safety will always be mm-hmm. protected. Yeah. You know, the and then if it's not, then you know maybe my faith lacked or I wasn't right. praying hard enough or something, which. Yes, I mean, (laughs) but also either I was lacking something or we'll just stop this whole thing. We'll just walk away from Jesus, walk away from church because he didn't show up in the way I was wanting him to. And I think these deeper issues are a fundamental belief in does he care and is God able? Those are the two you know, haunting fears we have. One is that he's able, he could help us out, he could protect us, he could stop the boat from going down, but he doesn't really care. Mm-hmm. Or he does care, but hey, he doesn't have the power. He's just not capable. You know, he's, he's, he's not as, as strong as we th- I think he is. And those are the haunting fears that come back to us. And what I find from people in other parts of the world is they've worked that one out a bit more Mm -hmm. than we often have. Because they've had to, right? Experience. Yeah. And what conclusion do they reach? They reach, I mean, more, I'm not saying it's 100%, but I'm saying I find a lively relationship with Jesus, which is woven deeply into them because their experience has shown them that they can trust him for everything. I mean, one of the things that has impressed me that Dallas said was, if you reduce the gospel or the teachings of Jesus down to one expression, what would it be? And he was so expert at this. His answer was, trust me. And what he he was saying was, trust me for your soul after Mm -hmm. death, but for everything else as well, you know, health and welfare and family and children and parents and job and, and everything else. He's not saying you're going to live a charmed uh, life, but you can trust me for these things. Okay, let me have a go now. I want to try and move the conversation on to an email we had from Michael. It seems that the church in the past has done a better job with social justice concerns. I quickly think of people like Dr. Martin Luther King and even John Perkins. However, with the killing of George Floyd, it seemed like the church had lost much of its voice and people aren't looking to the church. Do you agree? Much of this, I believe, is a result of a reconciliation issues. What do you think? In your opinion, how can the church begin to have a stronger voice in issues of social justice and others? It's interesting because... Um when I when I read 
Michael's sentiment that it seems that the church used to do a better job with social justice issues. I, I would say it, it seems that the church in the U.S. has had a pretty spotty record. Sometimes the church does better with social justice issues, but I don't know that I want to glorify a time in the past. But I think he's he's touching on something important now, that perhaps leadership in social justice used to come from Christians. And now it would seem that sometimes uh, resistance to social justice issues comes from Christians. Do, do you think that's a fair statement? Yeah, I, I, I do. It, it's hard, too, to say what happened historically and what didn't, you know, because we, we have the advantage of being on the other end and kind of writing the history. A- absolutely. At least in the States, the church has lost its voice of moral authority. And tragically, the, the rest of the world, or at least in the States, sees Christians as folks pretty persistently fighting for their own rights. And some would say at the inclusion or the exclusion of of others. What can we do? I think that's a Fantastic question. Personally, I really wish we did better at listening. Mm. I kind of wish that people would just shut up for a while and listen and learn and see what happens. We're not going to get our voice back by just being loud. It would seem in the in the U.S. It would it would seem to me, and this is I know this is oversimplification, but I think that there are people of. Um, with really, really good motives who want the church to be in a position to kind of set the agenda and to say how things should be. And it gets, it gets tricky, I think, when, um, when too easily that runs into wanting the church to be in a position of power, wanting to you know, be able to set every agenda and make the rules. And I I find myself brought back really often to the example of people like Mother Teresa of Calcutta, by anyone's reckoning, would be considered a person of real influence. But she did that by giving of herself and going and serving the poor, rather than by saying, I deserve to be a person of influence. She made herself a person of service. And I wonder if maybe sometimes we have so wanted to be people of influence that we have forgotten that the way of Christ is to be people of service and kindness and mercy and love. That's good. Very helpful. I think you're right, your earlier point about was there an age when the church was more outspoken on these issues? I'm with you on that. I'm cautious about I wonder whether in the same way every generation blames young adults, you know, every generation says (laughs) the kids now are not as good as the kids in my day. I think we also say there was a time when the church was, you know, stronger on these issues. I've often thought we should produce what I call a Christian social index, which sort of, you know, charts what the Christian contribution to the world is. And I don't know whether it's 
bigger or smaller, but it's certainly there. If you think of, you know, the care of those who are sick and at the end of uh, life, or you think of the marginalised and the poor and the soup kitchens and the food bank, or whether it's HIV AIDS, I mean, there's a lot of work going on. So I'm cautious about that. There aren't so many big stars in our churches nowadays. There aren't the Billy Graham type iconic figures there. And celebrity may not be such a bad thing that there aren't these big people out there. I think it relies on more of us these days than it once was. I'm just putting that out there as a possible option, that the way we cover stories, the way we cover social change, there aren't the sort of big you know, stars of church as there were in the past and maybe that's not a bad thing, you're saying. And maybe that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe that's not a bad thing. I'm not so sure that we should be having these big... Mm-hmm. But am I pursuing justice in my sphere of influence? Right. Am I helping those who've been marginalized? Am I bringing them to my table and to my church's table? Am I lifting up the downtrodden? Am I working... You know, to think of, you know, the words of Jesus, I was hungry and you fed me. I was, you know, poor and you cared for me. Mm -hmm. That's that's justice. Right. I think when we when we think of biblical justice, we're thinking of the care that should be available to all um, that we are as Christians are committed to, you know, wanting people to be cared for and listened to. So am I doing that myself? Well, you know, I have a ways to go. Yeah. But it's so easy, I think, to put it off on the church. Why why doesn't the church have a bigger voice? Well, who is the church? We're the church. The church is not an institution. The church is 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 Christians who need to be about this work. No, I've been greatly helped by this idea of listening. I think you're so right mm-hmm. there when we stop and hear. And the phrase that I found helpful is t- to turn judgment into curiosity. Mm. Can we turn our instant you know, judgment into curiosity as to why do you think that? Why do you behave in that way? Why is that you know, happening? And what can you teach us because this isn't a one-way street. The poor, the marginalized, the sat upon and um, spat upon will have things to share with us. And I learn a Mm -hmm. lot because of that. And Mm -hmm. as you say, listen and watch and observe and try to put ourselves in the position of others. And it'll be something for us, wherever we draw our lines, you know, who's in, who's out, who's got it, who hasn't, who's acceptable, who's unacceptable, I found more and more Jesus seems to be found on the other side of those <laughs> lines. Right. Don't you think, you know, yeah. we say this, but actually he's at work there. Mm. I'm interested in you. I want to learn from you. What are you telling me? I still might have to come to a position on on issues, but I want to hear from you. Really like that. 
phrase of turning judgment into Mm -hmm. curiosity. And immediately it brings to mind that that does require a certain level of humility. But I really like a kind of a posture of learning in that. And 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 of course it's 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 worth noting that you know historically the church has done I mean been on the right side of history over and over again and so many of the um, you know social care pieces in, in our society that we kind of take for granted have their roots mm-hmm. in you know faithful Jesus followers trying to help you know, incarcerated, uh, mentally ill, or, you know, uh, those without voice, those dying, um, adoption. I mean, the list goes on and on. So, that rich history is there. And maybe the question that I would have is, how can we get back there? How can we, you know, tap into that rich history and move the ball forward in this day and age? Well, one thing I'd just add is that it's not by chance that one of our streams at Renovare is the compassionate uh, life. It mm-hmm. is the the social justice um, you know, strand of the church. And that's important to us because that is a part of um, you know, Jesus. It's not just a prelude to telling people, about Jesus. We tell people about Jesus through that work. We tell people about Jesus. I mean, one of the organizations I've been impressed by is African Enterprise, which has this wonderful expression to evangelize the cities of um, Africa through word and deed. So there's an evangelization happening through what we say and how we act. So the doing acts of social justice aren't just a a warm-up act. (laughs) They are being Jesus to others. It's not that we don't use words, but we don't just use words. And... um, I think that's important to keep that in. And that in a stream is important because Jesus was that stream. He was a social activist. Mm-hmm. There's this wonderful book by uh, Ronald Sider called I Am Not a Social Activist. And the subtitle, I think, says I'm a follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there's plenty of work to be done, right? I mean, I... Maybe it can look, when we look at history, like the church used to take the lead because there were such big-name things that needed to happen. But there's plenty of work still to do. Maybe the work we're called to do right now is not so much headline issues. Maybe it's the small acts of justice that aren't going to make the evening news but they are going to make an eternal difference in people's lives. Well, I've got a question. It comes from Jason in Indiana, and here it is. I've been listening to the Runway podcast for some time and was excited when you said you'd be starting up this new podcast. My favorite part of the podcast is I find different from other podcasts is the tone. Everyone speaks quietly, gently and calmly. 
There's plenty of laughing and difficult issues, but the common peace radiates throughout the podcast. And it radiates from so many of the people on all the podcasts, including all three of you, which is nice. That's very nice. nice. Yeah. Thank you. And, and here's, here's my favorite part. Can I? <laughs> I'll continue. It's striking how calm, unhurried, and peaceful the podcast is, even at 1.5 speed. What are some practical steps towards making that more characteristic of myself? What practices have you found helpful as you grow in peacefulness and gentleness? Mm. Oh, That's a good one. one. <laughs> and I know what you're going to say, Nate. I think Do you? so. You're gonna, gonna you're gonna it. use this poor man's words against him, aren't you? <laughs> no, no. Okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna start. Well, let me start bigger picture and and tell a brief story. When I was in grad school, part of my internship was to lead domestic violence offender treatment groups, and it was set up in such a way that I I literally was left in charge of these groups. There's you know thirty guys who've been incarcerated or had charges for domestic violence. Um, I was quite nervous, and so I would walk in with a giant cup of uh, tea, hot tea, filled to the brim, and you you have to go slow when you're holding hot water in in, in your hand. Doing that for month after month, um, it became habitual to be relaxed and to be calm, almost as a nervous, as a counter response to uh, feeling nervous. And it dawned on me a, a few years back that there'd been a certain like practice with that, that it had kind of worked itself in um, a, a, as a result that I hate being hurried. I absolutely do not like being rushed and something feels very off for me uh, w w when I am. I ran across a quote uh, from a friend of mine, Robert Moore Jumanville, and it was very simple. Hurry is greed. Hurry is greed. And I sat with that for a while and, and at one point kind of asked him a little bit about it. And he said, when you're in a hurry, you're trying to escape your own mortality. You're trying to do more than is for you to do. And I absolutely like that, uh, that if we're going to move at a reasonable pace, it really does mean we're going to have to say no to things. We can't do everything that we want to, even really, really good things. And so learning the practice of um, saying no and then sitting in the suffering or the pain of, I don't get to do all that I want to do, and, and finding some, some sort of um, contentment in, in that. So that's at least kind of my process with, uh, with this idea. How about you guys? I share the, the concern, obviously. I share the um, you know, challenge. I live in a very fast world and, and everything else. Um, I have been helped considerably by people in our world who've, who've um, spoken to me on this. Uh, Talus himself did this wonderful piece at the end of his book, uh, Life Without Lack, which is how to spend a day with Jesus, which is a wonderful, how to anticipate a day so that we can step through it in a calm um, style. And he says it starts the evening 
before, which is a very Jewish way, the day starts the evening, um, and to prepare and to think ahead of what's going to come up and to be working it in there. And it's just a wonderful example. He sets out just in very ordinary, everyday, how to operate. And of course, things come in and unexpected things you know, happen. And we're not trying to say that we can plan and organize. But again, it's attitude, it's posture, it's the heart. I used to wake up and try to tell God all the things I needed him to look after <laughs> coming up. You know, I'd say, well, I've got this conference call. I was meeting this person. I had to get to work at speed. I had to do all these different things. And I was really trying to say, I'm chairman of this operation and you, Jesus, are part of my staff and I need you mm. to fulfill the following aims. And it took me years and years and years to work out that actually the reverse is what's happening. He's in charge and I sit around but wait for him. So then it changed to, Lord, I've got all these things going to come up, the meetings, the calendar, everything else. I release them to you. I can't make myself be at work with, you know, I can't, I'm not in charge of the other cars on the road and, and jams. So I would have to, I, but the way I worked was that I'd say, well, it's not me. I can't make these things you know, happen. I can't make this person come in on time or get away on time. Or I can't, I'm not in charge of emails that are, are coming in. I release them. So I'd walk through the day to come trying to release issues, not trying to hurry my way through and I think you're you're touching on something. And this is what I expected Nathan to say right at the beginning when you read the email. And the man said that <laughs> um, striking how calm, unhurried, and peaceful the podcast is, even at 1.5 times speed. <laughs> so I expected you to say, okay, Jason, don't listen at 1.5. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to tell you, I'm very sympathetic to Jason, um, knowing okay. that, for instance, that that my window of time to do something like listen to a podcast may not be as much as I wish it were. It's it's very easy to think, well, if I listen at 1.5 speed, then I can listen to the whole thing. Mm. It's like it's what enables me to do the good thing. And that seems like a very reasonable goal. Mm. But maybe what you're saying is that the discipline of slowing down is the key to being a peaceful and calm and unhurried person. Like, I, do you remember the story of um, Dallas is saying to someone that, um, the way to become the kind of person you want to be, that one of the disciplines is to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from right. your life. John Mark Comer has enlarged on that and has written a book called it's The great. Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Really good. But I think maybe the key here is 
taking on some disciplines that are anti-hurry, like doing that on purpose. So for instance, for me, (laughs) I'll tell you the truth. It's so easy for my blood pressure to rise at the grocery store. I'll get in line and I notice that this line appears to be shorter. That's the one I choose. And then when the line next to me moves faster, I think to myself, I chose the wrong line. Well, honestly, I've had to stop line jumping as a discipline. Does that sound silly? But it's true. I've had to say to myself, it's okay. Maybe that person has a sick child at home and needs to hurry through. Why don't I just bless him on his way and I'll stay here in the slow lane? Same is true for me in traffic. It's so easy for me to get irritated when someone cuts me off in traffic, but I try to remember that maybe it's not that that person is just a jerk. It may be that there's something very urgent they're attending to and that I can afford to let them go, you know, but I have to do it. I literally have to do it as a discipline. I have to remind myself that I'm okay in the slow lane. And it takes some practice. I mean, it takes some honest to goodness, real life practice of going slower, of putting my cruise control at a lower speed and realizing that I, that I get there. Well, and, and beyond that, it, it comes back to what you're saying on the last section about service. Choosing the slow lane, going slower, potentially is a, a service to other people and a way to love others by, I, I don't need to be in a hurry. I don't need to push and shove at, in this space. I really, really like the quote of ruthlessly yeah. eliminate hurry, and, mm-hmm. and I hear it. What I don't, and I, gosh, I don't mean this, well, I guess I do mean it to be critical, but I, I mean it in a good way. I don't know anyone who does that. Like, I know people who say it, but, and, and I'll say self-included, um, it's much easier to say it than, than actually do it. And, and part of it is it has mm-hmm. consequences. You don't get to do all the cool mm-hmm. stuff you want to do or read or, or see or experience. Um, I would think of it, yeah, I'm with you, Rochelle, that there is a certain discipline to um, slowing down. And it's a great discipline to just practice, you know, going slow, walking slow, mm-hmm. talking slow, eating mm-hmm. slow. Um, it's actually quite fun. I would think of some of these things as not just a discipline to train myself to, but an issue of practicality, that something is lost mm-hmm. when I'm in a hurry. And the easiest way to think of it is in books, um, those classic books that are really, really good, that have stood the test of time. Uh, you, you, you get into an educational program, a seminary or some sort, um, you're going to speed read those and you're, uh, you know, you're going to devour it and you're going to go from one to the next. And wasn't that wonderful? You, you read 10 books. You probably didn't mm-hmm. even read one. Uh, really read it in a way that was, you know, I, I want to use the word respectful of the life story that's been poured into this. Uh, and so I would tie that a little bit with... Um, and this is the <laughs> 1.5 speed, I would say something is lost, that there's something intentional uh, and, and there's something to be gained in the spaces 
uh, at the speed of which someone hmm. is speaking, right? So I'd, I think I, I, I would go beyond the podcast, but just there's something in this pauses. There's something that's being communicated there that gets lost if right. we're just speeding through, give right. me the information. Right. So Nathan, do I understand you to say that it's easy to sort of reduce what we take in to kind of a lowest common denominator and to assume that you're just taking in information, but actually life is more than taking in information. Life is an experience and sometimes the pauses Sometimes the breaths, sometimes the rests are part of the total experience and that you lose something if you just rush to the next thing. Yes. And I think we do better to listen to less, you know, so if, listen slowly to another podcast and, and miss ours right. this time. Like, that's a good thing. Uh, getting information is is a... It's, I almost want to say shallow in a way. It, it's just one thing of our learning. And, and I think as a consequence or a consequence as a society is that we miss a lot of really, really good things because we've reduced it down to an experience or an information um, rather than really soaking in the fullness of what, you know, this experience or this book or this, you know, sermon has to offer. You know what can be really helpful, I think, as I think about this, um, I think maybe just as a practice, some Lectio Divina instead of, or not totally replacing, but maybe, maybe this week, soaking in one passage of Scripture or one verse of Scripture instead of studying a chapter or studying a book. Maybe just spend time with one verse. Maybe, maybe instead of trying to get through a psalm every day, maybe I take one psalm and spend a week or 10 days or a month on the one psalm. I've heard your dad before, Nate, say that he spent a year on one phrase and just kept coming back to it because there was more and more to find. But I think what I'm hearing you say is that if you don't make a practice of taking the time, you'll never learn what's to be gained when you take the time. Yes, and your father also said every guess requires a no. If we say we're going to do something, we're effectively saying we're not going to do something else. Now, we might not be aware of what that is, what it is we're saying we're not going to be into, but we are making you know choices. It may be we're not going to get enough sleep because we've said we do this, or we're not going to have enough time with, you know, spouse or, or anything. But we are making choices. And I found as I've walked on in this uh, life that I realise when I say I will do A, I'm saying I won't do B. And just mm -hmm. understanding that within me, um, I found that is such a help. On books, I think one of the, the critical things is making a choice is, is this a book we need to read very slowly? Often the older the book is, 
the slower you need to go at it. You know, it, they, I sometimes say some books you need to eat with a small spoon, you know, one little piece and, and work on it. And there's a difference sort of speed there. But just on your, um, we'd sometimes have a joke about this, you know, go into a store and deliberately stand in the slowest you know, <laughs> that's right. And and realize at the end of it that you were okay. Yeah, you came out all right. Or in the car. I mean, the worst right. thing with with the, that is you make judgments when you're in the car as to which cars are going to pull away first at a stoplight. <laughs> that yeah. age of car, <laughs> that profile of who's in the car. I mean, you know, all these, you know, judgments come out. But the thing we've been taught, where were we? Where do we get this from? Because the rule is you have to get away first. Right. Well, who taught yeah. us that? <laughs> and how could we learn other th things? Very interesting. Jesus did. It's in the Bible, right? <laughs> yeah, right. First shall be first. first. Yeah, something like that, you know. Yeah. No wonder Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these when talking of little children. That's a good way to learn to go slower. Hang there out with go. little kids. Oh, they live in the moment. They enjoy they it. Because that's the, that's ultimately, if I'm in a hurry, I miss, mm -hmm. I miss what God had for me in that mm -hmm. moment. And I'm miserable. Yeah. Yeah. So being content with what's in the moment. I think what we're saying is it takes practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even then, you know, even then. <laughs> well, y'all could come sit on my front porch. <laughs> as long as you talk faster, I'm in. <laughs> uh. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Renovari's Friends in Formation. Head over to renovari.org where you can find lots more helpful resources and the show notes for today's episode. You know, we'd really love to have your questions. Please send them to us at friends at renovari.org. That's friends at R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E dot org. <laughs> <laughs>